Welcome back to Create Space, a podcast that finds joy in the art of storytelling. Today's episode is a direct reflection or response to last week's episode. So last week we talked about the contentment conundrum and how our response to stimuli can have this truly profound effect on both our level of contentment and our overall levels of happiness. So to continue in that vein of thought, I have brought Jessica Stong on the show today, and she is going to tell us all about how to take control of our thought patterns and ultimately take control of the results that we're getting in our lives. Now, Jessica is such an incredible friend of mine. She's the founder of Lives of Courage, a mental health coaching organization that seeks to ignite hope, cultivate resilience, and foster transformative healing. And she's someone who has always managed to come into my life at exactly the right times. She she understands me in a way that a lot of people don't. And let me tell you, Jessica Stong is the world's best hype girl. I mean, no one, no one makes you feel as loved and supported as Jess does. She's brilliant and funny and relatable and It is an absolute dream for me to have her on the show and have the opportunity to interview her. So let's get into it. All right. It is my pleasure to introduce you to a fellow Jessica. This is Jessica Stong. Jessica, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. This is an interview I've been looking forward to for so long. I, from the beginning of like saying, hey, I might make a podcast. (gasps) You know, when you just sort of brainstorm, like who, who would I maybe interview? I mean, you were just top of the list every single time. I love you so much. And uh, as some of you recall, I have pushed her podcast before (gasps) on the show uh, because it is so wonderful. And um, we're going to talk a lot about Jessica and all the things that she does. But first, let me tell you all how we met. I know. Right. So Way back, I can't even remember what the years would have been now, but we met in Junior League. 2013, baby. Oh, good job. Uh, yeah. But I remember when we first met, there was just, you know, where you just match energies with yes. people and you just think, oh, hey, girl. oh something clicks yes. here. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I feel like all the way through, we I have felt that, like, with you. It's you like know? this soul connection. Like, yeah. you, ju- I, you just get me at a deep level. That was our original, you know, meeting. And then several years, you know, we didn't really yes. have much contact, you know, right. once we were both out of the league and everything. Uh, and then what brought me back to you, so to speak, um, was Lives of Courage, which I'll have you tell us all about oh. here in a moment. But essentially, it's your life coaching program yes. based heavily in cognitive behavioral therapy, um, CBT, which I have mentioned on the podcast a oh, lot uh, because it's helped me a lot. Incredible. I, I think, honestly, you were the very first person that taught me about CBT. I, I had done therapy, but I just, yes. and I think I'd even done CBT kind of, but no one had ever said like, this is what you're doing. And I think the way that I relate what you do to storytelling and what I want to <gasps> discuss is like, I didn't realize how much of what we consider our, you know, factual existence or our factual yes. story is really the way we think about things that are happening. It's not, you know, it's like 20% this is the fact of what happened and 80% 
this is what I think about it, right? That's yes. where shame, like shame is not a fact. Shame is how you feel about something. Mm. And, and so then that combined with, hey, you can choose to not right. honor that thought was like mind blowing to me. So that's why I wanted to focus on, you know, if, if, if I can be such a powerful storyteller, right? If oh. I can be that, then what's stopping me from changing the stories that I tell <gasps> myself, the, the narrative that I tell myself of you're not good enough, yes. you're not whatever, any of those things. Like, why can't I change that to you're amazing? Right. Um, and you were the first person that started to teach me that, I think. So <gasps> yes. this is an interview about you, so I will stop talking. Oh, I love, I, <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to, to focus on myself because I think your story is so powerful, right? That when you make the choice to, to, to see your stories, to see other people's stories, and to right. say, maybe there's another way mm-hmm. of seeing this situation, seeing this example, seeing what's happening. Mm-hmm. And and it's all about perception. Right. Well, and we've recognized the need for that type of, <sighs> um, I don't know if therapy is the right word, but we've recognized the need for that awareness uh, in everybody, but specifically in young people, because it was what, two two or three yes. years ago, like right right as the pandemic was ending enough that we could sort of be back in person yes. again, that we brought you to come <gasps> speak at our communication week. Um, and I remember that came from, we were in a faculty meeting and they were saying, man, we have kids that are or students, oh, young adults, that yes. are burnt out, confused, anxious, depressed, yeah. and we don't know what to do with them. And I was like, I have somebody who knows <gasps> what to do with them. Um, and I remember we got so much positive feedback from <sighs> that session. Like students were like, this is what I I needed. Like this this is what's missing, right? We're oh, learning yes. academic stuff. We're learning um, financial stuff. We're learning business stuff. Yes. But we're not learning how to manage our own brains. Absolutely. Which is just, I mean, it's just wildly important. So again, let me shut up for a moment. And could you just tell us a little bit about what Lives of Courage yes, is, where absolutely. it came from, oh, yes. and what you do. So that is, you know, um, this will be a winding road, a sure. winding story. Let's just buckle up, Wind right? away. So I think I, you know, studied psychology in graduate school, mm-hmm. but we tend to make it so difficult. There are so many theories, and when we're, you know, in therapy, our therapist isn't telling us, what they're doing. They're right. just asking us questions and it's this like smoke and mirrors. I always think about the Wizard of Oz. Oh and yeah. how the wizard stays behind the curtain mm-hmm. and doesn't want to be seen. Because really the wizard's just like a just a dude. Old dude. Yeah. Old white dude, right? Shocking. Always. <laughs> and and we we don't see the underbelly of what is actually Within our control. Right. More than we realized. Oh, my gosh. And yes, I'm not saying I just need to make a public service announcement that therapy is amazing. And an important piece of us really coming to terms with who we are and how we understand our stories. But there is more out there Mm -hmm. that we can be doing this work alongside therapy, independent of therapy, that we can be looking at our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, and our results in a way that allows us to take control. 
Yeah. So we were just talking about this. We can't control what's happening around us. We couldn't, just as the students were saying, they can't control COVID, they can't control the economy, we can't control our children, Mm -hmm. but we can control our responses Mm -hmm. to those situations. And for me, that was like a wake-up call. Yeah. That I was, I held the key. Just like, Dor- I don't know now why I'm using Wizard of Oz. Like, it's working. It's really, sometimes my metaphors go awry. We're just going to go with this. <laughs> but Dorothy always had the power to get herself back to Kansas, right? right she right. just needed to click her heel. We have that same power, but we don't recognize it mm-hmm. or we're too in um, in our stories. Mm-hmm. And in that narrative of my life is hard, I don't know what's happening, because really our lives are hard. Right, right. And so we get the opportunity to say, what's really going on here? Yeah. And can I take a breath and and see with different a, a different lens? Right. Maybe what is actually happening here? And so for me, it changed my relationship with. Um, clients. It changed my relationship with myself, with everyone. It changed my relationship with God, even. Like how I had agency mm-hmm. in how I responded. And so from there, I really thought about um, this idea of coaching, right? Like right. I could teach people the skills of cognitive behavioral therapy as a coach. Um, and I was living in Europe because why wouldn't one go move to Europe? And right. I didn't want to retrain as a therapist. So that's oh, part yeah, of the story. Oh, yeah, because there'd be different yes. like, certifications and whatnot. Yeah. So I was like, yep, we're doing coaching. So I was fortunate to really have the experience of meeting so many different people, right? From um, it, it, business leaders uh-huh. to um, work-from-home moms to say, I see you, I see your story, tell me that story. Mm-hmm. And let's look at what, you know, are, are, is your story one of the hero's journey? Is it one of um, victimization? Is it one that you've had hard situations that you've had to overcome and you just need help recognizing that? Yeah. So, so I did that in Europe, moved back here, um, you know, had some kids, right. had a good time, <laughs> and then started Lives of Courage really actually as a result of having Henry's, my oldest son's, learning differences diagnosis. Really? I I didn't know that those were connected. I know. I tend to just move through life as quickly as possible and forget things. And I was re-listening to some of my old podcasts. And it was in response to that we are all called to courage. And courage doesn't always look like those giant heroic acts. Right. It is everyday courage, courage, right? It's like in thinking about our thoughts and how we are reacting to, for example, in this case, my child's diagnosis, Mm -hmm. that really showed me and reminded me that by living a life of courage, we're inspiring others. It's like the ripple effect. So I really wanted to create a, a, 
an, a platform for people to feel seen and to be supported as they just did the one thing every day that scared them. And for some of us, that's like getting out of bed or doing laundry for me mm-hmm. or putting it away. Yeah, I don't mind oh. washing it, but the putting away. Ooh. Oh, it's painful. It it's, is. It's like the mundane uh, how do we find magic in the ma- mundane? But it's all the it's all the things that are required of us. It's right. dealing with the child's diagnosis. It's it's dealing with your own anxiety and ADHD and being honest about that. Mm-hmm. So how do we show up in our lives with courage, vulnerability, and uh, uh, this this realness and rawness and mm-hmm. I didn't see that often yeah no I agree in our social media world mm-hmm. right and so I I wanted to give that um, as an offering really as my call I think um, I feel really um, inspired to say this is who we can be if you can just believe, uh, it, I now I'm back to Ted Lasso. Like you can just love that show. Uh, so you good. can just believe. Yeah. Um, and you know, I in um, graduate school I did a cycle of courage psychological framework. Right. Right. Where you you know you need certain components. Um, one of which being thinking about your cognition, your thinking. Um, and I took the cognitive behavioral triad, um, triangle, thoughts, emotions, actions, and just flipped it on its, um, you know, uh, flipped it vertically. Look at me. Okay, okay. Um, okay. So w- I have, I teach people about how their thoughts impact their emotions, their emotions impact their actions, mm-hmm. and those an- actions impact their results. Right. And if they want different results, let's think about your thoughts and your emotions, which will change what you do. Yes. And I think, so two two things that, I, that you taught me that I still use very mm. regularly, um, which I think speaks exactly to what you're saying of it's something you can put into your everyday life yes. is, uh, and I'm going to have you talk about exactly what this is here in a minute, but the brain download. Um, I still do those. Not every day I try to, but, but uh, as you, many times as yes. I can. Yeah. And then using the tear, uh, you know, <gasps> yes. model that yes. you taught me uh, about taking, like looking at that brain download and, and going, okay, so I have written several times that I don't feel like I'm have been a good mother this week, you know, or whatever. And so how can I take that and use this framework to reframe that? Not necessarily in a more positive way, but at least in a more neutral way, at least take the judgment out of it. Right. So, so will you right now, a lot of what I just said probably doesn't make sense to people. So will you tell us first what a brain download is and then how to use that tear process? I just need you in my everyday life to help me talk about these things. You're so helpful. We need to just, we need a team somehow. I was literally thinking that an hour ago. Done and done. done. Like, let's do this. She's now a co-host. Welcome to Create Space. (laughs) (laughs) She'll be on every episode from here on out. Welcome. We're just ready for this. We were made for this. So, okay, brain download. We always all have thoughts swirling around in our brain all the time. And Mm -hmm. often they're so loud that they cloud or crowd out what we actually need to be thinking about. So, and they're usually, and correct me uh, if I'm wrong, they're usually not at all intentional, right? It's usually just like yes. repetitive subconscious things, right? You know, we have these scripts 
for how we think that were given to us usually in childhood. Right. Um, and I'm I'm convinced, although I can be uh, uh, boldly simplistic in this, that all of our negative thinking comes back to this one thing. Oh, I am not worthy. I'm not. I'm yeah, not, I believe that. We're, I, like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not worthy. I'm failing. Um, I can't keep up. I'm overwhelmed. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. And so when we do a brain download, we write down all the thoughts that are swirling around in our brain. We get it out of our mind onto paper um, so we can really look at it. Right. And for me, my brain downloads very random. I mean, like day to day, right? Like some days it's like, I can't do all of this. Like I'm failing, I'm failing my family. I'm failing as a business owner, as a wife. I can't keep up. Think of all that negative talk. Like Mm -hmm. we all have it inside of us. And if we're not honest about it, it's it's gonna it's not gonna magically disappear, right? right? And we say you have to name it to tame it, right? That's my that's my go-to. Is that I can't let the thoughts swirl around and expect them just to magically disappear. So I say you write it all out. And there have been times in my life where I didn't feel like writing. So I would talk them out Mm -hmm. into a voice memo. Um, Now I use Otter. Um, It's a... a, I don't think I've heard of that. It's a fancy robot that transcribes things for you. That's awesome. So then I can just like verbally process and it takes all my thoughts. Feels like voice to text. Yes. Sort of. Yes. Cool. So, you know, whatever you want to do, I love putting pen to paper, Mm -hmm. but make it work for you. You don't have to do it every day. You can do it when you're overwhelmed. I say get ahead of the game, though. Don't wait until you're super overwhelmed or your brain's just going to seize up. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to put it all out on paper. And then you're going to notice those themes, like you said. Often, um, mine is... I can't do everything that I need to do, or I don't have enough time. You fill in the blank, right? right? And so I will underline those statements that I want to challenge. So I don't want to, like, I don't want to, um, the, the challenge in this is to not beat myself up over thinking them. Right. Because yeah, that is a challenge, right? Oh. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm being so hateful to myself. Oh, Stop I hate myself for being so hateful yes. to myself. Like, that's a cycle. Oh, my gosh. And that is often we think that's the way to change. Right, right. It's through, like, anger and, like, get it together, right? Shame yourself into it. Yeah. And so what we know is that if we can come from a place of neutrality, I don't even say self-compassion. Just neutrality is all we want to get to. And to say, like, why, why does that thought exist? Why do I think I'm so overwhelmed or I'm not a good mom? We're going to go with I'm not a good mom. Why do I think that Mm -hmm. again and again? Where does that thought come from? And is that thought serving me? And then if I decide that that thought isn't serving me, I honor myself for having that thought in the first place and the emotions that it brings up. I'm going to think about those. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to think about what action I take as a result of that thought. Well, oftentimes it's overaction, right? Like I'm going to go out of my way to be extra nice to my kids. And then they're left wondering, like, what is she doing? Right? <laughs> like, like, oh, she's in that mood again. Yes. And she's overcompensating. Yes. Yeah. 
kids can see right through it. I mm-hmm. mean, right? And so we see what actions come as a result of the thoughts of I'm not a good mom and the shame that is this emotion that is associated with it and the action we take. And the response we get is often not of what we want. We feel right. further in the whole of I'm not a good mom. And so what we do in um, the tear process, it's our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, our results, is we say, actually, I want to think something else. I want to think I'm the best, or not even I'm the best mom I can be, is like, I'm the mom that my kids need. Right. That's, that, that's a good oh. point. And let me jump in here because yes, this is please. where I got stuck a couple of different times is that it's not it's not like toxic positivity yes. like saying if if the negative thought is i'm not a good mom the response typically is not i'm the best mom in the world no. because that's equally unrealistic right absolutely um, and like you said sometimes just getting to neutral um, and depending how deeply ingrained those thoughts are sometimes i just had to take like a step yes. like a little baby step to get a little tiny bit less judgmental and maybe eventually that will become oh. more positive but even if it's just like i'm not the worst mom that's like, there are people who are worse that <laughs> is so good, Jess. You know, because what is your brain gonna do if you say I'm the best mom? It's gonna be like, no, you're not, and I'm That's gonna tell you bull. all the yeah. yes, all the reasons you're not, and bring those to your consciousness all the times that you're right and so we talk about baby stepping or laddering our thoughts yes laddering that's the phrase you used yeah so my favorite thing to do is to have people find an anchor thought the thought that they want to anchor them to themselves to or their reality um and so a lot of times it's, I'm actually not the worst mom in America, right? I'm like, not abusing my kids. Yes. <laughs> like literally. Right. And you're going to practice that thought until you believe it. Yeah. And then you're going to go, you're going to climb the next rung of the ladder. Wait, we were using steps as our, so the next baby oh, yeah. step. On our step ladder. On our we'll step ladder. In between. You're so good. <laughs> um, I wish you, I wish people could see us though, because I like, Got super excited with that. There's a lot of movement associated that they can't see. That's okay. I just act it out and hope they understand me. Yeah. Um, So the next thought would be like, I'm working at believing I'm not the worst mom or a bad mom. Or even I want to be a good mom. I want to be an okay mom. Um, Right. I want to be the mom my kids need. Oh, because what is a good mom anyways? That's it. Because we know that our brain, if we don't believe what we're thinking or what we're saying, our brain's going to be like, ah, ah. Mm-hmm. So we've got to baby step our way there. And I think that people, because of this idea of like, just think good thought, manifest, like just think good thoughts and yeah. you'll manifest your reality. It's actually, we can be doing more damage yeah. than we recognize because our brain, because of confirmation bias, our brain's like, no, right, that's not true. And here's well, the reasons why. And I also like how you, explain, and I'll ask you to go a little more into this, but I believe you were maybe the first person that I heard this from too, about like, it was easy for me to feel incredibly judgmental of my own thoughts and be like, why am I such, for lack of a better word, like an asshole to myself? Like, why Mm. am I so hateful? Right. And then being able to say, there is, there is a reason for that to exist. Right. So, so we know now that shame does not 
you know, push you into any long-term change. Right. But like in the short term, it does serve as a really good motivator. Yes. So so obviously there was a reason that my brain was telling me that. Yes. And that, that allowed me to be a little more grateful yes, and a little bit kind. less, why are you so messed up? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, and it is... It is wired into some of us from the scripts that we picked up as kids, right? right. Like, it, it, you're not, you're messing up. You're not doing this right. Like, and that carries on into our thought life, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, why can't, why am I beating myself up? Like, I'm so angry. I'm so upset. And how do we allow ourselves the compassion and the grace and the understanding that we're gonna, we're gonna ha- have struggles. Mm-hmm. That we're, it's gonna be hard, uh, and and just recognizing the process. Yeah. Well, and I think that what I would get most angry about was not even necessarily that I was that I had these thoughts about myself, but that I almost didn't want to give them up <gasps> because in my brain it was, and I think you see this I... in society, right? having self-compassion, taking steps to do self-care, all that is considered kind of lazy or kind of selfish, you know, and there was a part of me that had, I don't know if it's like the martyr syndrome or whatever, but that I thought if I'm not beating myself up, I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to progress. I'm not going to, you know, be whatever I need to be. And and it's still hard to let that go, I'll be honest. Well, and that, I think, is embedded in our narrative. Yes, all of us. All of us. So I always say, like, that's... Once you recognize that, though, mm-hmm. like, oh, that's what I'm doing right, right now. Like, you can identify it. You can step outside. Yep. And say, oh, you're there doing that thing again. You know, I love to use, um, I love to name that critical part of my brain because it makes it easier to, um, like, like separate yes. yourself from it. Yes. yes. So it's not who I am. It's the primitive part of my brain that's mm-hmm. designed to look out for danger. And so I, I recognize it. Like, thank you. I call it negative Nancy. Um, some of you know why, because there's a girl named Nancy and she was not kind to me in high school. So I call it negative Nancy. I'm like, thank you. I hear you. Um, I know that you think I need to beat myself up right now, but I'm actually not going to do that. I'm all good. I'm good. I got this. Yeah. It's really, it is co- constant, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this work is never done. I think that we, as a society, want a quick fix. I know I do, right? Oh, yeah. Just tell me what to think and do, and then I'm going to be better. Yeah. It's a daily exercise. And I don't think people really want to hear that all the time. No. no. I don't. I've I've given into accepting it now, but I still wish. Like, if I mean, if a new book comes out that promises me that it can be done easier, I mean, I'm going to read it and see if they're right. You know I what I mean? I still <laughs> like, do. I mean, like, I s- learned to train rats in graduate school. That's always the joke. I love your stories about your rat days. Uh, they were the <laughs> sweetest little things. But, like, I know the principles of behavior mm-hmm. change, right? But yet I still buy the books that yeah. promise the quick uh, the quick changes. Right. Because I want to think, well, I just haven't figured it out. There's got to be something easier out yeah. there because it's hard to live it's hard to be present mm-hmm. 
and and to 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 reflect on all the thoughts swirling around in our yeah. brain. But when we do, we get to create moments of of safety and moments of peace where we see ourselves for who we are. Right. And recognize that and honor that. And not through that lens of everything else that we've oh. been looking through. And I think with COVID, we had no escape. And we were confronted with each of us fear. Oh, yeah. In all different ways. In all, di- right? And so we no longer could control. We lost control. Mm-hmm. And we, our brains don't do well if we think that we've lost control. We and lost control and we saw <gasps> that the people we thought were in control were oh. not as in control as we thought that they were, you know? It is incredible to me to think about the collective fear and what that did to us. Yes. And I'm also extremely fascinated by people's stories during that time. Mm-hmm. How how do you tell what happened to you during that time? I think it's very telling. Because Ooh, I love that. You know, when we think about like, oh, it was hard, but I overcame. Or, um, you know, it was hard and I'm still... And it's still hard. Yep. (laughs) And I hate it. And it was the worst thing that could have happened to us. And the world's falling apart and, and, and. And that is the lens that we see. Mm -hmm. And that tells us so much about the state of our mind, not in any judgmental way. It's just illuminating to us the pieces of our story that we're telling ourselves Mm -hmm. and that we're telling others. You know, and you said you said story in a couple uh, a couple minutes ago. You mentioned narrative as well, which mm. which launches me into you taught me this term just this morning before we hit record, which is that of narrative psychology. Yes. Will you tell us to me that like puts together oh. the mental health stuff and the storytelling yes. piece, everything that my podcast is about? Tell me about narrative psychology so, and what that is. Oh, Jess, it is a way of looking at the way that you've constructed your story. And, and how you tell your story, how you view what's happened to you, how you view the experiences of your life. I, I think so much about like a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. There, it, there's, it's not without hardship. It's not without pain and suffering. But what becomes of you on the other side of that. So it's like the meaning that you give yes. to the things that you experience. Yes. Basically. And you know, this is so wild because I have not thought about this since the year 2000, probably 1999. <laughs> uh, John Berger's Ways of Seeing. Have you heard of this book? I have not. It's it, it's it's the way in which we see. I mean, it's about like art and um, advertising. But for me... It's about the way that we see ourselves, our lives, and our stories. And once we can bring that into the light, we get to make choices. Right. And so I think narrative psychology is really this opportunity to say, okay, what, what have you said about your childhood? What have you said about your trauma and what's, what do you make that mean in your life? 
it's a powerful way. You're exactly right. Like, how do we even tell our story about who we are as a creator? Because there, we are wrought with societal messages of like, you're a creator, I'm not, or like, I'm never going to be good at that, mm-hmm. or that's not me, I wasn't get. What if we all have the capacity inside of us to create and to shape our stories? And we just can't see that right now. Absolutely. If you are constantly swimming in those doubts and in those, um, I guess, Judgments, really. Yes, that's it. I mean, yeah. You know, I used to always read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I've heard, I have not read that, but I've heard you talk about it before. Oh my gosh, because she talks about how we all have a duty to listen and and to create. We were given this gift. And I always make the, I mean, I like, I change it every time I retell this because I can't actually remember. But like, like, it's not a direct quote. It's, it's fine. It's yeah, we're not direct quoting here. But like, the muse will visit you, and you can choose to ignore, mm-hmm. to reject, to distract, to not listen. But are we honoring that that piece of us? Are we honoring ourselves? Are we honoring all the people that came before us that didn't weren't able to share their stories because of societal expectations of women or you know fill in the blank, right? right? And so how do we show up? It it really comes down to the stories we're telling ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> I love thinking of that as a as almost a responsibility almost uh, not in a in a yes. bad way but thinking of the fact that because of the resources that we have now because of the things that we've been able to learn through psychology practices and things like that we can make progress on our own brains in ways that generations before us Ugh. never could right they didn't know right absolutely i you got you know i love daniel siegel mm-hmm. my um, he's your boy my boy um and he wrote mindsight and like we now can understand not to the full capacity but understand the inner workings of our brain and be able to watch our mind if we know about it if we know about the hand model of the brain if we if we know about our brains we can watch it happening, witness it, and then decide to change the automatic patterns. Right, that which is amazing. Set. Isn't it incredible? Because I think when I um, took my first brain and behavior class, they're like, your brain's set at the age of 18. And now we know that's utterly, I mean, was I educated in 1956 maybe right (laughs) like but now we know that's utter baloney right that our brains are malleable and open to change and we can rewire those information highways if we think differently and so I just I feel like I'm passionate about this experience of um the uh, understanding mm-hmm. 
how we react, how our brains react, what stories we're telling. I, I will tell you, I have a, a, a something to share. I don't know why I said it like it. with such a dramatic tone. I love it. I was telling you I was writing a book proposal and yes. how like it took everything out of me, right? It's 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 a book. I mean, it's not an easy topic about the intersection of mental illness and faith and the stigmas associated with mental illness within big topic, faith yeah. communities, right? Like that's a just a walk in the park, just right. a happy little thing. And I kept wanting everything in me wanted to say, actually, this isn't my my thing. I'm not like I someone else is going to write about this or they've written about it in a much better way. I should probably give up. And so I I saw that voice, that inner critic that and I and I recognized that I was trying to shut down Mm -hmm. that that creative part of me that needed had a story to tell. Yeah. And so it was like a battle of like, don't give up. Yeah, let's give up, right? Like, let's let's just call it a day. We tried. Mm-hmm. Um, and on some level, I want to be super transparent about like, it was one of the hardest things for me because I had to confront all the self-limiting uh, beliefs that I ever thought and you're even, I mean, something to note of that is that you are a creator and have been a content creator for a long time. So the fact that even now, after having hundreds of podcast episodes oh, and courses yes. and offerings that you've done, you still felt oh, that. I don't think that will ever go away. Right. I hope not. Right. Because that's that primitive part of our brain that's designed to keep us safe. Yeah, that's true. If it went away completely, I mean, yeah, we might not be safe. (laughs) Right. And so, like, how do we honor that, but at the same time be like, no, I got this. Negative Nancy, we need you when you're helpful. And when you're not, can you just go sit in your room, please? Like, just go take some time to yourself. And literally, I think that's what we, that's what I do with my kids, too, right? Like, they have uh, internal monologue. And I try to get that internal monologue out to see Mm -hmm. where they are and who they are. You take like that weird little thing that they said and go, what does that actually mean? Where is that actually coming from? Yes. And I ask them, I mean, like, um, tell me, what is that? And my seven-year-old has always been so good at this. He's like, well, that ha- I, I thought that because of this. and But it doesn't come naturally to a lot of kids. Yeah. And it or does, adults. Or adults. <laughs> I was like, it doesn't come naturally to me. Yeah. Because I'm so good at pushing down or mm-hmm. repression or, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't want to do the hard work of noting. Honestly, thinking about, like, parenting your own brain <gasps> as a child is I feel like a semi-effective way of thinking about it, it <laughs> you know yes. what I mean there's it, a, a weird amount of similarities there oh my gosh one well, another um, book that my boyfriend Daniel Dr. Daniel Siegel wrote <laughs> is parenting from the inside out and it's like how do we recognize and parent the child inside of us that mm-hmm. didn't get seen often or noticed or validated before we go 
and um, put all of our challenges on our kids. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great book. So we've, we don't have a ton of time left, but I, I do want to, there's a couple more things I want to talk about. We've been talking a lot about, you know, these thoughts that we have about ourselves that are not helpful. Yes. And something that's interesting that um, you have told me about is that we're all a lot more alike than we are different, yeah. right? And so a lot of the, these thoughts that we have look kind of the same in oh. different people, and they actually have a name of, uh, I, the only word I'm thinking of is cognitive dissonance. That's not right. What is it? Cognitive distortions. Distortions. You're so you. good. I knew I would lose that word. So cognitive distortions. Yes. So what are those? And w- like, I remember being wowed when you told me about them and going, so I'm not the only one that thinks right. these? Because it sounded like you took it straight from my brain. It and apparently so, enough people think it that it's actual research. That we have uh, identified this. Yeah. And it helps you remember, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I, Good God, everybody's thinking. Yeah. Let me go through these and then I will give um, your listeners a download so that they can print. Literally, awesome. I have it printed out next to my um, desk. Love that. I, you can just I, see it and go, yep. oh, oh, there we go. Doing it again. My favorite... Um, and I tend to make these up, so I'm going to jumping to conclusions. Mm-hmm. So we decide something's going to happen, or or the the next one is catastrophizing. So it's like you magnify the negative. You like it's going to be so bad. Like I'm going to write this book proposal, for example, and it's going to be it's not going to be picked up, or right. it's going to be awful. Or think about like what we do as parents, like. Our children are going to drop out of school yeah. and never be successful. That's and, it. Yeah. Think of all the ways that we all do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Black or white thinking. It's either this or that. Well, we see that in the world. I'm like, you guys, this is a cognitive distort. No one wants to hear that when they're engaging in it, myself included. Um, I, I, I think about mental filters when you focus on just the most negative I mean right we have this negativity bias so we're right. always looking for the negative aspects right and we we don't see the the things that did happen I always see this in my clients when they're like well I haven't journaled every day and I'm like but did you once right did you two times yes. is that more than you've done before yeah it's incredible to me that we cannot see um it, it's the black or white right like it's yeah. either good or bad not there's no in between yes um i um should statements and we all know Ugh. right like i Those should i must yes. i uh, we all do it I, and and how do we have compassion with ourselves when we do it Right. And the first step is always to identify it, acknowledge versus like, I should never have thought it like you're going to think it. Your brain is always going to do it. Mm -hmm. So catch yourself on the bounce, like notice it and then say, and and what now? Is this helpful? Yes. Yeah. Is this serving me? Um, And then emotional reasoning is another one that I'm really good at. It's where we assume our feelings reflect facts. Ah, okay. 
And so, so give us an example of that. So one. that is regardless of ev- evidence, right? Like, so I would, um, I feel embarrassed about a situation. I'm trying to think. I don't. Uh, obviously, I don't often feel embarrassment. Um, so maybe <laughs> that wasn't a good go-to. I don't know. Like, no, oh, oh I feel um, shame over my parenting, mm-hmm. and so. I've done shameful things. Like uh, I uh, am a shameful person. People think I'm shameful. I, they think I'm bad at parenting. Mm-hmm. Like th- you make decisions based on how you feel. Like I feel unworthy, therefore I am. Yep, unworthy. Yeah, and that is yeah. That's labeling, and that's I, I do that all the time. Like I um, am depressed. No, you have feelings of depression. Mm. Yeah, taking the uh, identity out of it. And it's interesting because we don't, uh, we say I am depressed, I am anxious, but we don't say I am ADHD. I'm like, we say I have ADHD. So oh, I yeah, wonder about That's this. I, it's just a way, I mean, it's probably like language yeah, principles, thing. but it, what it does, words matter. Right. So when we're saying I am, fill in the blank it's a much different experience than I have yeah or I am experienced yes or whatever so I really try to watch what I say um and notice it huh isn't that yeah you know it's funny I I can pinpoint we were talking about this before we hit record (gasps) and I'm just now realizing that that well I'm realizing it on a more conscious level that it was a cognitive distortion but I was thinking about after 21 episodes of this podcast, yes. I missed three <gasps> weeks in a row. And I was bummed about that. And, and and I think the main reason I was mm. bummed about that is that because, and you'll appreciate this, as someone with ADHD, I tend to get very hyper fixated on something. Yes. And it goes amazing for a while. And then it drops. And then I give it up forever. And so in my brain, the second I missed a week, yep. I was like, this is it. This is the end. This this is the end of the motivation for me. I'm never going to yes. make another episode. Create spaces over. I can't do this. <gasps> and then I feel like I was able to take a step back and go, listen, you were just starting summer. You were home with your son full time. We had a couple yes. other things going on that just took up more time. It doesn't mean like that. That, that doesn't yes. have to be the end of it, right? And and consequently, I've been back in the studio, and you know, I'm putting some things out again. And so one time when it didn't meet my expectations doesn't mean that I had to catastrophize it based on my history of that's it you know given up hobbies (laughs) but that is that is such a thank you for your vulnerability and being so transparent about what actually happens I yeah I don't know that I even put all of that together until we were discussing it right now but because also just your script as someone with ADHD, I can say this to mm-hmm. you because it is my script as well, is I don't follow through. Yep. I, I give up a lot. I, give, I yes. start a lot of things. I don't finish a lot of things. And yeah. so you, your brain was re- just playing that on repeat, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, see? We've- it's like I've been waiting for it to happen. Like I've been, you know what I mean, thinking like at some point it's going to happen. And so the second I had a reason it to was, feel like it was happening, yes. I was. My brain was like, "Oh, here we are, the moment we've oh, all been waiting for. Get ab- ready to play the shame game." <laughs> that, oh, Jess, I have the goosebumps because that is is such a common phenomenon. But we think it's just us. Mm-hmm. Like I think that I took a year long break to deal with family issues Heck and yeah. do consulting, and I was like, "See, 
Your priorities were where they needed to be, though. But I decided that it was because of my ADHD mm, and not because yeah. of... So this, you are seeing in real time how our stories, we can choose to like acknowledge them and then name what we actually are experiencing mm-hmm. instead of relying on old scripts that right. no longer serve us. Which is really powerful. I mean, it's difficult, but it's really powerful. Because you just changed the outcome. You changed the, the, the response. Yeah. And I gave myself the, um, the freedom to occasionally have things come up oh my- and have that be okay. Right? Because that rigidity. Oh, my gosh. My favorite Daniel Siegel. I'm so sorry. Can I tell one more? Yeah. We are over no, time. No, you're good. No, you're is, good. Is, uh, I love this idea of the river of well-being, right? Oh, okay. And on one side of, of the river is rigidity. And on the other side of that well-being, um, easy-flowing river is chaos. Okay. And so... Oftentimes, we like we're in our little rowboat and we're flowing down the river, and something happens, and we hit the side of chaos and uh, like go immediately to rigidity as a response. Yep. And so then we're hitting the side of rigidity over and over again, and we don't know how to get back into that that middle life, that middle of what it feels like just to be calmly rowing down the river of mm-hmm. well-being. That's and a really isn't like, that, cool visualization. And I made the rowing part up, but we're just going to pretend you that... You could be in a speedboat. You could be in a you could really, sailboat, whatever. Uh, you choose your... Yes, <laughs> an intertube. Yeah. Did you say intertube? Did, it's inner tube. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite. I like it. I've always said that. And Chris is, my husband is always like, I I have some doozies. Um, Intertube is one of my, and I can't even say frustration. I can't even say. Frustration? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I always say frustration. That is adorable. Isn't that awesome? You know, it sounds like you, it sounds like a mixture of flustered and frustrated. So really it's its own word. I need a dictionary. (laughs) I need to, to, but, but I love this idea that, um, A, well, we can make up words ourselves and B, that, that we can recognize when we've hit rigidity Mm -hmm. or when we've hit chaos. You know what that sounds like uh, is when I was doing dialectical behavior therapy, (gasps) there was a concept called wise mind. And they were talking about, and it sounds like by the way your face looks, you know it. So make sure I'm using the right words here. I believe they were saying there's the emotional mind and then the, is it logic Mm -hmm. mind? Mm -hmm. And talking about how like you don't really want to live in either one exclusively because in logic you're ignoring emotions and in emotions you're ignoring you know, fact and and reason. Yeah. Um, And then wise mind is being in the middle. And as soon as you started explaining that river of well-being, I felt that because I've always thought of myself as an emotional mind. And I think I almost thought that I didn't have any of the logic part. I didn't have any of the reasoning. And now I'm realizing I do, but my script tells me I live in the emotional side and I can't be in between. So recognizing I can play both sides. Oh, is makes me feel wiser, right? 
Really, we need a podcast together all the time. This is because I think so much about people. Um, I love DBT, and the uh, the it uh, was life changing oh. for me. It was so cool because it's it's based in CBT, but it's it like is. more action oriented, and it it includes mindfulness, right? And um, in in workbooks, and right, like it's action. Yes, yes. it's not just thinking about it, but you're actually. Getting the space mm-hmm. to say, oh, wow, look at what my brain is doing. Yeah. And it's so, what I loved about it is that it's so rooted in the fact that two things can be true mm. at the same time. Because I didn't realize how much, like, literally everything is ranked in my brain. Like, every, oh. you know what I mean? Even if there are two things that don't really relate, I can think of, like, well, one is a little better than the other. Like, one is, you know, and being able to say two things can literally exist at the same time and even be opposites of each other or in, um, you know, like disagreements of each other. And you still don't have to give it a ranking. You don't have to say one is better than the other, which is kind of what we've discussed a lot of the black and white. Like there's so much gray area and it's okay to just let that gray area be. You don't have to force it into a box or into a ranking system or into a, I should do this first that. Like it just is. Oh, and that's really hard for me. I didn't realize how much of that was in I, me. I can remember sitting in at, uh, at when I was at university in an office, and my best friend at the time, Isa Kretschmer, said to shout me— Shout out to Isa. Shout out to Isa. Um, said to me, Jess, life is not always black and white. I hope one day you can see the gray. And I was like, ah, that hurt so deeply. Because it's so hard mm-hmm. to, to, it's hard to feel, it's hard to think, it's hard to, like, because we, our brains want black and white. We want the clarity. Yes. yes. The and certainty. S- the certainty of that. You know, the work I've had to do myself is in um, not saying that feelings are good or bad. Yes. Or positive or negative. Right. Like that to me was the hardest work I had to do yeah. because all feelings are valid and that we need to feel it to heal it, right? That's, thanks, Carl Jung, I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the work is in that. And so if we're saying there's no positive or negative black or white, what is that doing to our reality and our experience of who we are? I, like I said, I've been looking forward to this for so oh. long and getting it on the schedule was like a guest interview come true for me. Oh, Jess, you are so incredible. I can't tell you how much you inspire me and just I'm ready to take your classes this (laughs) fall. You have such a gift and I'm so thankful that you're sharing that with with the podcast audience, but with all of us. So thank you so much. Thank you. We are just a Jessica love fest right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jess. Thank you to Jessica Stong for that amazing conversation. She is nothing less than a breath of fresh air, and I know that you all could see that as well. And I sincerely hope that you will head over and subscribe to her Lives of Courage podcast as well, because it's one that I listen to regularly, and I always, always love it, and I always get something out of it. I have added her contact info in the show notes, um, so please check it out because she is someone you want to know. She she just is. Take my word for it. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for another episode of Create Space. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and I'll see you back here next time. Bye!